0: How's your day going? Pretty really good so far. How's yours, Carl? Fantastic. Fantastic. Where are you in the world today?
1: I am in my office here in Vancouver, British Columbia.
0: Okay. Well, I guess I'll have to small talk you until we get uh, everybody on. So how's the weather in <laughs> Vancouver today?
1: Uh, It's not too bad. I mean, uh, we don't have a lot of rain and and snow yet, so uh, I guess it's pretty decent. Not too cold.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to coming there. Uh, I think I'm coming on January 12th to the 26th.
1: Oh, yeah? Yeah,
0: so a little bit of work, a little bit of play. Yeah.
1: Are you going skiing?
0: You know what? I've never skied. So, no. Uh, But actually (laughs) a friend of mine has a a place in Whistler, so I'm not going to rule it out, but... Uh um, yeah. More inclined okay. to snowboard myself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I think we're just waiting on Jeff.
2: Mark, how are you? Doing good. Thanks for uh setting this up, Carl. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah, that's great. We're we're I'm excited to have you and uh where are you today, Mark, in the world?
2: So I am uh, I'm at home today in Edmonton, Alberta.
0: All right. Well, since we're waiting for Jeff, I'll small talk you. Oh, there's Jeff. Um, <laughs> what's the, what's the weather like in Edmonton today?
2: It's actually pretty nice. It's been a weird, uh, you know, start, start to winter. Well, what is traditionally winter? I don't think there's really been any snow It snowed once melted. And now it's a, uh, yeah, it's still uh bare, bare ground, which is a pretty nice surprise. So I'm just soaking
0: it in. <laughs> yeah. I would say that's a little rare. I've been in Calgary, I remember I used to go to Calgary for a slow pitch tournament, uh, for Labor Day weekend. And, uh, right when I would leave, they'd get snow. Yeah. And that's in Calgary. Yeah. Um, and you don't get Chinooks in Edmonton, right? There's no warm, warm wind coming off a mountain in Edmonton?
2: No, not really at all. It's, um, yeah, they definitely get that in Calgary with the mountains there. But for us, it's usually a pretty dry, cold and and dark couple months for winter. Yeah. So, Yeah. (laughs) All right, Mr. David and Jeffrey, how are you today?
3: Very well, thank you. Thanks for uh, hosting us and uh, looking forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah, so we might as well get into it now. Um, since there's so many of you, I'm not the best at intros anyways, but why don't you guys uh, start off with, um, we'll start off with Mads, who's on the corporate account from Racovina, and, um, sort of give me an intro uh, for each person, how you got uh, hooked up with the company and your role in the company.
1: Sure. Uh, happy to start, Carl. Uh So I am Mass Daugard, and I am the president and CSO of Racovenia Therapeutics. I'm also a professor at University of British Columbia, where I lead several uh, discovery and translational resource programs. Um, I have worked with discovery and translational cancer research for close to 20 years now, I think, and led many different therapeutic research programs, both in academia and biotech settings. And my core expertise is tumor biology and genotoxic stress that includes damage to DNA and how cancer cells can repair such damage. And in Rakovina I oversee the research and development pipeline uh, for our next generation DNA repair inhibitors.
0: Okay, and how long have you been with the company?
1: Well, I've been, uh, so I'm uh, one of the co-founders of the company, so we started up in, uh, in late 2020. Um, so I've been there from the beginning. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, Mark, let's, uh, let's go to you next. Yeah, for sure. So Mark here, um, based in Edmonton, Alberta, I've been helping out the Rackavina team. So Jeff, David and Mads uh, since about April 2021, when I helped with the go public transaction. And I've been an early stage investor um, and a strategic inv- advisor ever since then with, with Um So my, my background is all kind of early stage technology investing and consulting. Um, so I've helped you know many, many companies raise kind of that first or second round of financings. Um, And then typically I stick around and I help with things like, you know, financing support (coughs) as well as go to market and just, you know, strategic operations. Um, So yeah, happy to be here.
4: Well,
0: thanks for having, uh, thanks for being a part of this, Mark. Um, David on to you.
4: Yeah. Hi Carl. Thanks for setting this up. So I'm David Hyman. I'm the chief financial officer of Rackavina. I've been with the company since inception um, and a little I guess prior to going public, because I was uh, intricately involved in the sort of go public transaction, which is the um, the context in which I was introduced to to the team um, to um, help them yeah go go public. And then I've been the you know the new CFO ever since, and working sort of hand in glove with with Mads and Jeff as we sort of navigate through the capital markets world and um, you know complete financings and move to to the next step and corporate development, which is hopefully uh, another financing here in the next, uh, you know, six months to help us further our research. Okay.
0: Jeffrey.
3: Hi, I'm, I'm Jeffrey Bacha. I'm uh, the executive chairman of Rackabina Therapeutics. Um, and Mads, myself, and uh, Dennis Brown, who is the chair of our scientific advisory board, um, started the company, as Mad said, a couple years ago. Um, And the genesis actually came out of a private U.S. company that Dennis Brown and I um, have a controlling interest in. And we had uh, one of the assets that's now at Rackabina Therapeutics. Um, And when the opportunity came up to uh, work with Mads, who we've known for a long time, um, done a lot of work over different projects. Um, But when there was an opportunity to work formally with him, put together a team in his lab and take that asset and and advance it uh, with some funding from some you know, very supportive shareholders through a CPC transaction. Uh, and in fact, we added in two other assets along the way. Uh, that really led to the genesis of the company. It's um, it's been wonderful to work with people that you know we've all known each other for a long time, and um, you know the seeing the progress that's been made since we started, and um, you know being in a position to potentially initiate clinical studies next year. Um, you know from the starting point of just a couple of years ago is, is uh, really remarkable and the team's done a great job. So um, we're very excited about uh, what we're doing.
0: So that's everyone on the call from management and the strategic advisors. So today we're talking with Rakovina Therapeutics. Uh, their ticker is RKV. They trade on the venture. Um, any other exchanges that you're listed on?
3: Not at this time.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, I'll sort of ask some capital markets questions. This is what I haven't asked yet, but um, the CPC that you did, um, are those shareholders still in the deal? Um, Do you, do you know that? Do you get any communications from them at all?
3: Uh, Absolutely. So the, the, the CPC uh, itself uh, is a group that, again, they had worked together um, through a number of transactions. Um, The most recent being um, a company called GT Gold, and when we were thinking about um, you know the CPC transaction and looking at different options, um, having a group whose core members have had a history of success and a history of sticking with and supporting the companies that they got involved with was it, it was a great find. Um, there are some wonderful people in that group um, who have continued to be very supportive. Uh, Al De Crazia, um, it was he was the leader of the CPC, and he's now vice chairman of the company. So he certainly stayed involved. And all of those core people um, have been, uh, they are still significant shareholders and have uh, you know, been continuing to accumulate positions. Uh, and in fact, when we did the um, convertible to venture financing um, a little bit earlier this summer, uh, it was 100%. Covered by insiders so management board and those particular individuals from that CPC so yes they're still there and it's been a, you know a great relationship and we're looking forward to continuing that
0: so I'm familiar with the GT gold uh, I know that they were bought out by Newmont I want to say around four hundred million so yep. I'm guessing that was a, a bunch of successful Shareholders from GT that came in on this deal—is that basically it?
3: That is that is a fair statement, and and interestingly, you know, there is within that group who's who's done mostly, you know, very successful mining deals, and you know, the history of GT Gold is those those CPC founders had all of their original shares and accumulated more positions all the way through that that uh, acquisition, uh, and they all did very well. Um, <clears throat> but there's an interest within the group. Um, in doing something related to healthcare, particularly um, in the cancer field, um, the group has been supportive of the British Columbia Cancer Agency over the years um, through donations. And so when the opportunity to connect with us uh, through Vincero, which was the name of the CPC, it just fell right into place. And when you know you talk about stars aligning, uh, the name Vincero um, in Italian means I will win and Rakovina Therapeutics—the name um, uh, Rakovina means uh, cancer in Czech and some other Slavic languages. So when you put the two to, to together, uh, Vincero and Rakovina, it kind of says "I will beat cancer." And so that was, you know, aligning the stars, and, and it's been a great partnership.
0: Yeah, that's that's really cool. Now, was that led by Canaccord?
3: Um, the the financing in the CPC round was uh, led by Lead Jones
0: okay and uh,
3: Doug, Doug Lowe the analyst there is is uh, you know he's disclosed that he's now a shareholder um, and uh, you know, I actually had had lunch with Doug uh, just yesterday and um, you know he continues to be very supportive and you know but down the line as we make progress we'd expect to uh, to hopefully see some positive coverage in a formal research report uh, coming out of uh, his shop.
0: Okay, that's good. All right, so you've got some good anchors in on the stock is basically where we're getting at here. Uh, people that know how to be patient and wait, and they, they have to be patient with a deal like this because it takes time to get through all of your studies and trials and everything, right? Um, how many shares are outstanding? I know that's probably listed on your website, but we always get people that ask questions here. So uh, if, if someone can take me through the structure there, that'd be great.
4: Yeah, I don't mind speaking to that, Carl, if, uh, if I can jump in. So again, it's a uh, David Hyman CFO. Uh, so currently we have 70 million shares outstanding, as Jeff alluded to. Um, we have a lot of insider ownership in that group. So if you look at sort of SETI, you'd say that about 45% of our, of our stock is, is owned by SETI filers. But if you include a broader group, which includes some of those initial CPC founders, which aren't necessarily SETI filers, but we consider them as quasi-insiders. You you find insider ownership on that basis being in the 70 to 75% range. So so a lot lot of insiders um, and a lot of supportive people behind the stock to um, further to your point. In in terms of other instruments, as opposed to the, you know, in addition to the 70 million um, common shares outstanding, um, we have around 7 million options outstanding. Most of those are priced at around 20 cents. Uh, we have some warrants uh, the bulk of our warrants track back to our initial financing there's about 11 million outstanding at a 40 percent exercise price and we just issued about three million additional warrants as part of our convertible deb- debenture financing which Jeff alluded to and those have a strike price of, uh, of 15 cents so all our dilutives are um, out of the money so to speak at, uh, at at current levels and are mostly held by you know individuals that are, are certainly, um, motivated to help us create value from where we stand today.
0: So um, obviously, um, all you gentlemen are, are biased. Um, our audience knows that, but I know that people want to know, does do you guys own the stock? Do you have hard dollars in on the deal?
3: Uh, absolutely. We, we all we all own the stock. Um, you can look at the uh, the history of uh, your know, purchasing um, and you know, so we're fairly regularly, when we're able to, due to, to you know, when there isn't uh, you know, non-public information in our hands, um, we're we're generally um, involved in, in in accumulating our positions. Um, and you know, it's it's one of the things that really I think is should be a good indicator to to others looking at the company that um, the people that actually know what's going on under the hood um, are continuing to be. Excited in putting their their money to work um,
0: to build positions. Yeah, that's great. Okay, guys, let's uh, let's get into the problem that the company is solving, and I'm sure it's a passionate one for many. Um, but I'll, I'll let you lead the way. I'm sure, Mads, do you want to kind of talk about about that?
1: I would love to. Um, so, what we are developing is uh, inhibitors to enzymes that helps repair DNA when it gets damaged. And our DNA, uh, all our cells in our body, they get DNA damage on a regular basis, many times every day. Um, and most of the cases, if not all under normal circumstances, it gets repaired by a very efficient machinery that we have inside, inside our cells that, that, that handles that and repairs the DNA. Um, But the DNA can get damaged by different ways. Um, There are mainly two ways it gets damaged. It's either something that comes from the outside. So that can be something in our diet or exposure to toxins in smoke or chemicals. It can also be radiation, UV radiation. But most of the damage to DNA actually comes from the cell itself when it replicates. Because every time the cell divides, it has, to, um, it has to copy all the DNA into an exact copy that will go into the daughter cells. And that is an error-prone process that uh, needs to be very tightly regulated, not to accumulate mutations. Um, so what happens in cancer is that they live under what we call replication stress. so they make a lot of errors in their DNA when they divide and that makes them very vulnerable to um, inhibition of enzymes that repair DNA. That If you do that then you kind of push them off the cliff and uh, they commit to a cell death pathway called apoptosis. So what uh, we are uh, working on here is to uh, develop next-generation DNA repair inhibitors that uh, can do exactly that and eliminate cancer cells.
3: And I think it's, um, you know, important to point out that, you know, the DNA damage response field itself has become a very important field of research in in oncology and the new new development of new therapies. Um, you know, five or six years ago, if you went to a conference and there was a DNA damage lecture, there might be 10 people there. Um, now, in those same conferences, there are literally hundreds, if not you know over a thousand people attending those same types of lectures. So this has become a really important area. And it's been driven by um, a first class of drugs called PARP inhibitors, P-A-R-P, um, which began entering the market just a few years ago. Uh, and they've become game changing for certain types of breast and ovarian cancer in particular, also prostate cancer, um, like very, very important and have very much improved the lives of patients. Um, But with any sort of first-generation technology, um, it's disruptive and and wonderful at first, uh, and then you start to learn about um, some of the limitations, um, and then you invest in the next generation uh, to try to overcome those limitations or make improvements uh, in that first generation. And so that's where our focus is, um, is to build upon the success of that first generation, those first generation products, which are you know, billions of dollars a year uh, in the treatment of cancer, um, but you know, target their limitations because we know um, that we should be able to do even better.
0: So uh, unfortunately there's a large market for this type of solution in the world. Um, when it comes to testing, I know that investors from an investor side, that could be scrutinized uh, quite, quite a bit. So can you kind of talk about, you know, the, the standard for testing um, that you have now?
1: Yes, so um, what we do is that we, um, we run all our molecules through an internal qualification pipeline with a, a variety of different assays that would qualify these compounds uh, in our pipeline. And um, then the molecules are tested in animals, mostly rodents, mice, um, and there we test for what we call pharmacokinetics and how the drug behave in the animal if, it's, uh, if it has activity against the tumors. And that whole thing uh, builds up to what we call the IND package or IND filing that will qualify for phase one clinical trials. That's the that's the path.
0: Okay. And where are you at now? Um, you know, with with this technology, like have you have yeah. you
1: had different variations of it? Yeah. So we have three different series uh, of compounds um, that uh, are slightly different, but they are all based on uh, inhibition of this DNA repair protein called PARP, where there are four approved inhibitors out there already. But our molecules um, are what we call smart molecules because they can do two things at the same time. We have uh, our lead series, kg 3000 that um, can inhibit PARP proteins, but it can also inhibit uh, another protein called HDAC. Um, And that's a protein that regulates DNA repair in a different way. And the cool thing about that is that when you combine those two activities, then you create this very strong effect um, of uh, of DNA repair inhibition that that is superior to, to the current First generation inhibitors, okay. and uh, you're, you're, So where we are, we are preclinical, um, and uh, it means that we are we are currently qualifying the lead to go into humans. That we are still, you know, um, quite a, a, quite certain that we will do uh, next year.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the questions i I got in a DM was was timelines. Um, mm. Do you guys want to walk through those a little bit?
1: Do you want to speak to the timelines, or Should I?
3: Yeah, no. This, I, I think we can. We, we're both on the same page. So, um, you know, as as Matt said, um, you know, we're looking at um, the moving into human clinical studies um, next year, uh, in 2024, and with the first program, the the KT three thousand series, which, as Matt says, is a dual function molecule that's been designed to overcome treatment resistance um, that develops in when patients are treated with the first generation drugs. So um, what happens in those first first generation treatments? Um, you know, they, the tumor responds, it shrinks um, very rapidly upon you know the initial treatments. Um, but then over time, um, you know that kind of stalls out and, and eventually the cancer becomes resistant to that, and begins to grow again. Um, so the 3,000 series is designed to overcome that, and we've, we've presented data, uh, both in you know, formal publications and in peer-reviewed scientific meetings, that says that we've we've been able to accomplish that. And then then the next step is okay, you know, let's find one of the molecules in the series that is going to have the right pharmacokinetics. So we, you know, it's a, going to be an oral pill. Enough of it gets into the bloodstream. Enough of it gets into the tissue to the tumor to do its job. Um, and it's a process. Um, fortunately, we've got wonderful medicinal chemists around us. Um, to can you know make small changes to make improvements so we get to where we need to be um, And so when we started we just had a sort of a general idea and proof of concept and we've literally made hundreds and hundreds of molecules and tested them in-house. Uh, we're able to turn around the testing uh, and inform medicinal chemistry very rapidly. Um, so you know as we you know go to the end of the year here we're you know at a point very close to confirming, the molecule that will go into human trials, and um, uh, that would put us on track to begin those studies in 2024.
0: Now, have you, uh, gentlemen, collaborated with anyone on uh, with this technology?
1: Um, collaborated with, uh, what do you exactly mean by that?
0: Uh, with studies or anything, sometimes you know, uh, pharmaceutical companies and therapeutical companies will, will hook up with universities.
1: Um, yeah, no, so Rakovina um, uh, collaborates with the University of British Columbia, um, and uh, that is through a very attractive agreement between the company and the university where we are uh, testing. Uh, and qualifying many of our our compounds um, at the university. And that has turned out to be a a really good solution for us because it gets us access to state-of-the-art instrumentation and uh, machinery that we can use for this. And it also keeps the cost down. Um, So by being able to to access all these resources here, it, it makes it uh, much cheaper to, to actually go through the, the development phase.
0: Okay, um, I have a question for Mark. Mark, what first attracted you to this deal?
1: Yeah,
2: thanks, Carl. Um, I mean, it's a combo, a lot of things, right? I think like when you're investing in early stage technology companies, there's typically not a, not a lot of data or quantitative metrics you can use to come to a decision. So a lot of my analysis comes down to the team, you know, the track record, the problem they're solving, the market opportunity, and then the partnerships that they have in place. And, you know, Mad spoke to the partnership with UBC. So that was definitely a factor because I think it just takes a lot of capital, you know, to get a, an, a drug asset to market. So having that, <laughs> some of that cost subsidized from, you know, arguably Canada's best research institution when it comes to biotechnological research uh, was a huge factor in my decision making. As well as just the team, Um, you know, I think Jeff and, you know, Mads and and David, you know, these, these folks have all done this before. This isn't the first rodeo, Um, you know, Mads with obviously his technical expertise. And then, you know, he never mentioned, but the, the scientific advisory board that they've, you know, brought together to, to work on this problem is arguably the smartest people on the planet uh, focused on DNA damage response technology. Um, You know, for example, Dr. Leonard Post is, is part of that scientific advisory board he was literally the guy who took one of the four FDA-approved PARP inhibitors to market, you know, under Pfizer. So there's only four of them in the world in market, and one of the people who it was a key to key to that story is actually working on the scientific advisory board for this company. So that's just you know one example. I mean, they've been adding a couple new folks over the last month as well. Uh, so there's someone named Dr. Petra Hammerlick. You know, she's she's working on DNA damage response. Research. Uh, she used to work for AstraZeneca. She's working on you know new modalities of blood, break, blood brain, brain penetrance, uh, which is a huge kind of efficacy checkmark that Rakovina is going to have to reach um, for their 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 candidates. And so having just this expertise around the table in everything from you know capital markets to to the actual technical work that the, the team is doing, uh, you know, that's a lot of what I was analyzing when I made my decision to invest. Um, and I actually just getting to know the team even better over the last two years of working closely with them, you know, like, like other folks around the table here, I've, I've only strengthened my conviction on the problem they're solving and the team that's, that's working on it. So I've been adding to my position, you know, regularly over the last two years as well. Um, I can say a lot of other things on kind of, you know, why I came to my decision. Those are the main ones is kind of the team and then just a lot of the collaboration around the table.
0: Okay. I am getting quite a bit of uh, DMs uh, along the same note there. People are wondering what the, uh, the you know, how much cash the company has and, and obviously how they're going to, what their plan is to fund this deal over the next few years. Um, does someone want to talk about that?
4: Yeah, Carl, I can jump in. It's uh, It's David again. In terms of, Cash on hand at the moment when we just reported our, our third quarter results. So at September 30th, we had working capital of around a million dollars, and based on current burn rate, that'll take us um, right up to about the halfway point of, of next year. Um, we're working closely, you know, as we speak today with some uh, some larger institutional uh, investors. We're we're at the stage now where our our research is interesting enough to uh, call it for sort of the, the next. Layer of uh, of investors that have you know their own PhDs on staff etc. that can really you know peel the onion and, and do the due diligence on our on our technologies and and our, and our science. We have something that's you know interesting enough for them to look at. And what we're really focusing on is uh, is some type of partnership with with that level of entity, which will be required to to fund our our work as we go into human trials. So. Um, You know, we're looking for somewhere probably in the the neighborhood of $10 million by the middle of next year that will really allow us to, you know, move to the next, um, you know, milestone creating uh, events. And that's sort of the time period, you know, the real value inflection time period for for companies like us where, um, you know, those first results in in humans are the real sort of needle movers in terms of our growth.
3: Yeah, I'm just
0: going to, sorry, go ahead.
3: Yeah I was I was going to add to that it's you know it's um you know it's very important that you know as we look forward um we're capitalizing this company to hit those milestones um and you know we all know that the markets have been challenging of late um but the last thing we want to do is you know do you know small financings that don't get us there and so t- taking the time to interact with investors um, institutional investors who have expertise in this space, who, under, who understand the risks, um, you know, when we if complete that round of financing, that should be a, another great signal to the market beyond our peer-reviewed publications. That uh, you know, people that have the expertise um, to understand what is, in fact, you know, complicated research um, have gotten behind it uh, and funded the company to the point of the next major step, which is not just starting clinical trials, but actually getting to initial results where we're seeing an impact on those tumors um, in particular tumors that are resistant to other
0: treatments. So that would be the single biggest um, catalyst maybe to, to de-risk for an institutional fund would be Uh, clinical trials.
3: um, Well, the, the institutions are going to be paying for for those trials um, through an investment. Uh, right. you know, but but the, the data that we have to date um, suggests that, you know, everything we're trying to do, particularly with this initial KT3000 series, uh, we are accomplishing. So, you know, the next question to answer is, is you know, how the drug behaves in, in people. Uh, yeah. and, you know, and typically, you know, the difference between, you know, where we are today and a market cap of a company with, with phase 2A data um, that's favorable I mean, it's literally hundreds of millions of dollars a difference in value. So, um, you know, we're looking forward to, you know, accomplishing those go- goals and, um, you know, everybody winning, uh, including the patients.
0: Are there any competitors out there in this space right now?
3: Um, uh, of course. Um, as I said, this is a DNA damage response has become a, a hot area of uh, focus for um, the biotech community, uh, the cancer research community, both in academia, but certainly in companies. So, um, the main companies that have, um, the products in the market, um, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, and GSK, uh, they're continuing to, you know, look at next generations. Um, but there are also great partnering opportunities for us. Um, and as we, uh, you know, as Mark mentioned, uh, Petra Hammerlick joining us. Uh, She actually was leading a lot of the DNA damage response research at AstraZeneca, who's got the biggest product on the market. So having her, you know, those relationships as well as her expertise is, is, you know, points us in a great direction. So Um, she can get
0: a meeting pretty easily.
3: (laughs) Without question. So you know all those all those things I think line us up for for success. Uh, there are certainly other smaller companies like Repair Therapeutics um, and others who are in the DNA damage response space as well. Um, their approach tends to be a little bit different, where they're looking at brand new targets um, uh, that have never been you know tested before in people. You know drugs that hit those targets. Uh, whereas what we're doing is saying you know let's let's respect the success of the first generation products and really focus on pragmatic incremental improvements that will benefit patients uh, and unlock a lot of value.
0: Was someone about to say something there just before you started speaking?
1: No, I I, I may just wanna add that the particular strategy that we are following by combining POP-M inhibition and HDAC inhibition, uh, there's not to our knowledge any competition on that particular strategy at the moment. However, we did publish the concept of this in a peer-reviewed scientific journal called *Cancer Research*, clinical cancer research, earlier this year. So, um, so the news is out there that we are pursuing this, and um, and we think it's the right way to go.
0: Mm-hmm. So I got a DM uh, someone asking me why I didn't ask you guys about your patents yet so <laughs> that's what I love about Twitter or X I should say so um, let's get into the patents now how long um, is this thing tied is this technology tied up for
3: so we we own you know all the the lead molecules that are um, you know own them outright the patents around them um, and you know we started with an initial uh, portfolio of patents which' um, uh, were brought into the company and we've actually built beyond those so we're continuing to file new patents uh, as the medicinal chemistry as the new molecules have been created based on what we've learned from the biology and so our patent uh, life uh, in across all of these programs um, you know goes out uh, roughly 20 years from from today. Um, so we've got lots of runway in terms of time and proprietary and uh, you know ownership of, of these programs. Uh, which is also very attractive to big pharma partners, um, uh, who may want to come in and, and work with us, and eventually, you know, put put the drug into their own pipeline and and, and sales force. So, um, having that kind of runway is is really great.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, here's a question for um, all of you: What's been the biggest surprise since you've uh, started this venture or joined joined the company? You know, that's,
3: that's that's a great question. And I, I know we're all kind of going, huh, surprise. Um, you know, there, there honestly haven't been that many surprises. Um, I know the capital markets sort of surprised everybody because when we started the company, the world was, was on fire with, uh, you know, stocks, you know, everything seemed to go up forever. Um, and so, you know, the way that the world has gone in the last sort of 18 months has been a little bit of a, a surprise to not only us, but, you know, lots of people around, around the, the industry. Um, you know, we've been through cycles before. And so, you know, this current downturn in the market is while it was somewhat of a surprise, it's, you know, this is the way it works. Um, and you know, we, we will ride the wave uh, as it moves back up and we're confident that our success and, and the research and the quality of what we're doing is going to really benefit uh, there as well. Um, but in terms of the, the research, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, moving things forward. Um, not, not a lot of surprises from my perspective. Um Mads, you may, may have, a, have another you know, things to add, but it's really because we've all done this before, um, you know, there haven't uh, been a lot of things that have popped up at us.
1: Yeah, maybe just to echo that, I don't see any uh, surprises uh, in the research part. Um, I mean, we have the technology to do what we are doing um, it's a matter of, uh, fine tuning small properties on, on what we want to put into the humans. Uh, and that's an iterative process that is uh, going according to plan. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I asked that question cause some,
0: you know, sometimes when you're going down this journey with a publicly listed company, there seems to be setbacks and timelines and all that. But, you know, would you say that maybe things are advancing quicker, quicker than you might have thought?
1: Well, um, I mean, it's, it, our research is for sure advancing quicker because we have the benefit of being able to do all the research and qualification of our leads uh, ourselves. Um, many companies like us—they are, re, you know—they require uh, CROs uh, to do any uh, small bits of the research, all the different steps, and that is a very long and time-consuming process. So uh, we can probably cut that time down to a third because we are uh, fully equipped to do everything ourselves in-house. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a, a pretty big advantage, I'd say. Okay, um, so you're going to go for a milestone uh, financing in uh, next year, I'd say. You're, you're probably going to want to look to raise funds in the first quarter or two of next year. Is that accurate?
3: Yes, that's a fair point.
0: Okay. Um, final words, gentlemen. Uh, we've we've been on here about 30 minutes. I think we've covered a lot of stuff, but... Um, Is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to?
3: No, I really, I think we all really appreciate your uh, your thoughtful questions and and also the ones that have come uh, from those who are listening. Um, You know, I'd say that uh, you know the the success of the company is really built around the company that you keep, Um, and so you know, starting with a great group of investors from Vincero, the CPC that are are still incredibly supportive. Um, starting with um, a great team who's worked together in the past uh, in terms of the leadership um, and, you know, MADS sort of hand picking the people in the lab uh, and then the advisory board around us. Um, you know, those those components and the quality of that across the board um, is something that I think, um, you know, people should find very attractive about what Racathena Therapeutics is doing today and will be doing in the future.
0: Thanks for that. Any anybody else?
2: Yeah, maybe you know, kind of just double clicking on some of the things that Jeff said. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not involved necessarily on the management team as as an early investor and, and advisor, but I've been getting to know these guys, you know, quite well over the last two years, and I've just been very happily and you know pleasantly surprised with kind of how. How they've been able to attract some of the people they have to work on such an early stage venture? I think you know one of the biggest risks and one of the biggest, I think um, predictors of success with these types of companies is who you're able to bring to the table at the early stages. You know you're not you're not you're not able to offer people big salaries. You know there's a lot of there's a lot of uncertainties. but at the same time, like if you have the compelling problem you're working on, and people can see that you're working on it, you know, in a very interesting market, you're you're able to attract really strong candidates. And some of the people that they've been able to bring to the table on the scientific advisory board and, you know, in the labs, it's just, it's truly the brightest people on the planet that are building in this particular space. So that's been really amazing to watch over the last two years, kind of all that, all that knowledge capital come together.
4: Mm
0: -hmm. David, um, I don't know if you covered this already, but um, I'm glad I asked you that question about the CPC um, because my my community would be very familiar with GT Gold. Um, what percentage of the float what, do you think is still owned by the CPC? Because I I mean to go in a CPC you don't need to put a lot of money in, right? And I think you're what did, what do you need really like 200 investors to start one? Yeah. And I could be wrong.
4: Yeah. So the initial so when we when we look at the CPC there's sort of two tranches or two groups of, of shareholders. There's the, there's the founders of the CPC. Which put in the the bulk of the capital, and then there's the 150 you know minimum number of investors that all put in five to ten thousand dollars each to, to meet the uh, the you know the minimum listing requirement. So as Jeff mentioned, the the founders of the CPC have not sold a you know a, a dollar of stock. They they're all in fact net buyers as we've gone along, and they they're a very supportive group. The the other group, the 150 of you know five thousand each, we believe we've largely Turned over that that group. It's kind of like the the despacking process, if you want to use U.S. terminology. Because yeah. at the end of the day, those positions are, you know, brokers just put their clients into these things, hit a button. You know, they put them in for five thousand, then they do the deal, sell for ten thousand, and they put them in the next deal.
0: Yeah. So we,
4: we knew right out of the the gate when we went public that 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 stock was going to come back at us, and yeah. that's largely been cleaned up. And uh, you know, and as Jeff mentioned, largely cleaned up by the the founders of the. Initial CPC who who have been advisors throughout the, the whole time we've been
0: public. Yeah. Um, okay, gentlemen, I, I that wraps it up from my end. I think we've we've covered um, you know a lot of the story. Um, you know, I usually try to get people to engage more, like with with you gentlemen, to understand your story and how you got to where you are. I think we did cover some of that. Um, I'd love to follow up with you in the, the, you know, maybe towards the end of the first quarter of next year uh, to follow the journey and see if you're, you know, if you've done a financing or if you're close to it. um, And, you know, if you're if you're interested.
4: We'd love to come back. And I would throw out there, you know, to anyone listening, if they have specific questions as follow ups, or most of our contact information can be found on our, our webpage and we're we're happy to uh, to answer any questions, you know, directly if to those that, that want to reach out.
0: Yeah, that's great, and uh, I think there's anywhere from seven hundred to a thousand listeners uh, that I've seen. You know, if you can, if you if you like what you're hearing, don't be afraid to give these gentlemen a follow on on Twitter on X, and uh, especially their corporate handle. I'm sure that's where you're going to want to get the updates. And thanks a lot for joining me today, gentlemen. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you in the near future. And, and best of luck with everything. Thank
4: you. Thanks, Thank, Carl. you. Thank you.
1: Thank everyone you, thanks soon. Take thanks care. everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye for now. Bye for now.